my friend, he told me out of all the people that I know, you take the chance, you take the risk, you, you bet on yourself. Yeah, I really have tried to approach my life that way. You're listening to the Not Yet Podcast, a bi-weekly show exploring the relationship between creativity and spirituality. I'm your host, Paige Polk, an Emmy Award-winning experience director, helping you honor the dreams you have for yourself and your community. You're in the right place if you have the courage to believe in a world you haven't yet seen. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. We are doing some love-filled dreaming here at Not Yet This Spring. And though it's a lot of fun to brainstorm about the overlap of creativity and spirituality, it's even more fun to hear about how this space shows up in your real life, you know, day to day. And I know that you are a talented and creative person who values living your life with intention. Otherwise, you would not be listening to this podcast. So would you allow me to pick your brain in a five-minute survey? I put this survey together. I know it sounds sappy because your voice really does matter. I read every one of your responses and I keep in mind your feedback when we're putting together programs and connecting with collaborators and even curating events. So if you want to co-create the future of Not Yet, this community healing project with me, please check out the show notes and click the link that says Not Yet Survey because I want to hear your feedback as we build in this new chapter. You can also visit notyetseries.com and find the survey there. With that in mind, let's head over to this podcast episode with Joa Spearman. Welcome back to the Not Yet Podcast. I am here with a fantastic person that I'm so excited to reconnect with on these internet streets, Joa Spearman. How are you doing, Joa? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing much better now. <laughs> That's great. That's great. That starts with the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited to introduce you um, because you're somebody who who does work that touches other people's hearts and other people's lives in a very tangible way. Uh, and it feels very much in line with the energy that you bring just as a person. Uh, but the black and white version of Joe Spearman was that he's an entrepreneur, a speaker, and a writer. He's the founder and CEO of Look Allure. He has helped more than 7 million travelers get authentic recommendations from locals around the world and is one of few Black tech founders to have raised over $5 million in startup funding without Silicon Valley. He's connected with audiences with his journey from a childhood of food stamps to rubbing shoulders with the CEO of Apple. He is a regular contributor to numerous publications, runs marathons when he's feeling crazier than normal, and lives in Austin, Texas. That's a... Uh... Yeah, I like the black and white version. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel uh, hearing that read back to you? It feels both appropriate and also so um, it like it falls short of who I am at my at my core, um, which is a lot of the work that I've been doing lately about kind of thinking about, you know, who who I am even beyond the things that I've been able to do. Anything coming up to you that you want to add? Um, I mean, for me, I, I'm just such a community led person and in, in Austin in particular, I've been incredibly involved. So, um, 
you know, I think that people in Austin especially know me not as an entrepreneur, but as someone who is very civically engaged and, you know, have served on a number of nonprofit organization boards, uh, Austin PBS, the PBS affiliate in Austin, Zach Theater, the regional theater in town, um, Aid Services of Austin, which is the leading HIV AIDS organization in town. So I, you know, a lot of times I think people in business, especially they try, they think kind of binary about this idea that you spend considerable amount of your time in adult life and career focusing on being successful in industry. And then later on, once you're successful, then you have gifts to share with nonprofits, with causes. And I've just fundamentally have believed throughout um, dating back to high school that you need to do those both together and that they feed each other. Um, so I've always believed that the work that I do for nonprofits on boards and for causes feeds me as an entrepreneur um, and vice versa. You um, you mentioned before we got on this call that you're in a, a moment of really like moving transition. How do you think this moment of transition is uh, helping you rethink um, how you show up as a community member? Yeah, um, I, yeah, it's the, the last, the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023 have been easily the most challenging season of my life and career. And, and while that's, while that's obviously inherently difficult, I also know that five, 10 years from now, I'll look back at this season as one of incredible growth. And, um, you know, just as doors are closing, I'm, I, maybe I'm not quite seeing all the doors that are opening, but they certainly are, ha are, are being opened. Um, and a lot of what I've been thinking about lately is just, you know, I grew up, I grew up the youngest of three boys, single mother, food stamps, all that. And, and I think that from a very young age, I created a very thinking centered way of approaching life. Um, and I, and I, I think I've been pretty good at it. Um, you know, thinking and strategizing and kind of being mindful of how to live my life and build a life. And, and I think in the last six to nine months, I've realized that that style of living has come to an end for me. Um, you know, I, I think of it as my thinking has been really effective at getting me to do, you know, thinking I think leads to doing. Um, and now I'm trying to lean more into intuiting and feeling and I think that that lends itself more to being. Um, so, you know, as someone said, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> and and I'm I'm really trying to lean more into the intuition skills that I've always had, but I've always kind of, I think, made secondary to my ability to think. Um, and I feel like the, the places that I want to take myself from here professionally, personally, um, just overall are going to be kind of feeling and in, intuitive led. Um, and then I can, you know, thinking can become the kind of the second opinion of sorts. Well, you've had a, a, a nuanced background when it comes to community work, uh, when it comes to your work as an entrepreneur, as a writer, as a speaker. And I'm someone who believes firmly that uh, like living intuitively or breathing in your intuition is a practice. 
And uh, like hearing you say that you have uh, led a very thought led life up until this point that you feel transitioning. I'm really curious uh, if there are seeds that you can see in your past where you know that, oh, like there was the intuition there, even though it wasn't necessarily in the driver's seat. Like that was a moment that I knew I was supposed to be doing that, or I was supposed to be connecting with that person. Like, can you tell me a little bit more about how it showed up in your past? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I have been going back and kind of retracing my steps and trying to find those breadcrumbs of, of who, who I really am in a way. Um, and some of the earliest ones are when I was in middle school, actually, I, I started as an entrepreneur without knowing what the word entrepreneurship was when I was around 11 years old, I started cutting grass for neighbors and raking leaves and things like that. And then I started selling candy and bubble gum to my classmates. And a lot of kids have done things like that. But what I realized is, yes, some of that was out of economic necessity, like finding a way to, you know, help my mom put food on the table kind of thing and get myself school clothes. But a lot of what I'm realizing is that from a very young age, very intuitively, I realized that entrepreneurship, at least for me, being entrepreneurial and thinking creatively was a form of expression. Um, and it was a way for me to, to kind of get out my ideas about who I was, um, how I can show up in the community. Um, and so, so th those were the, those were the, the beginnings. And then I, I think some years later, when I, um, I, I very vividly remember I was a, at freshman orientation. I went to the university, the university of Texas at Austin, which is what brought me to Austin. And I was at freshman orientation and I told all the, the people in my cohort, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to work for the athletic department at university of Texas, the Texas Longhorns. And they were like, oh, that's so cool. Like, do you already have a job? And I was like, oh no, I don't, but I am. And, and then I proceeded to call and email the athletic director for uh, the Texas Longhorns every day for 30 days until I eventually was able to get a job. And you know, I, I've always, I think I've thought about that as a story of persistence. And I think now as I've gotten older, I've realized it was really a story of having this internal compass of where I wanted to get myself to op unlock the world and, and get that access that I, um, I wanted to have. And and I think that as an entrepreneur, my intuition has served me well too. I think I realized that I spent a lot of time thinking that, oh, I'm coming up with this great strategy and we're going to do this and this. And I would kind of find a way to logically explain my decisions. But the the root of the decisions, almost always, if they were really good ones, especially, um, were, were gut led. Um, and... And so I think, again, I'm, 
I think what happened is I told myself, I convinced myself that my my brain was kind of powering my decisions and then my gut was validating them. And really it was the opposite, that my gut was kind of making the decisions and then my brain was was trying to build the logic around them so that I could explain myself. Um, and I was often in a lot of settings where I had to be explaining certain decisions, like whether that's with investors, with former bosses, et cetera. So I think I just naturally equipped myself with the tools to to do that. And now I'm realizing that I can start kind of unpacking some of those tools or or I can maybe I was using the hammer more and now I can switch to the pliers, et cetera. Well, your gut has led you to and through some very big goals. Um running for Austin City Council, building Le Collier, or even a marathon runner. Uh, and when I think about these practices, yeah, even the marathon running, I think about it from a place where you kind of need community. You kind of need community to get to these goals, to understand them, and even tweeze out what people need um, from a place of service. Mm-hmm. And I'm very curious um, when you're building these goals and engaging yourself with the world around you, how do you build them in community with the people you're building for? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say for me, it's, it's really important for me that the things that I care about, the goals that I have are kind of rooted in this consistency thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a perfectionist. So that's, that's one thing. I think there are a lot of people, especially artists um, who are perfectionist and, and that's, that serves them well. Um, but for me, I'm much more of a, um, I'm more rooted in the work and in the consistency of it. So I'm I'm willing for things to not be perfect as long as I consistently continue approaching it. So running, for example, you mentioned marathons. And I did a, a 50K, so 31-mile race for the first time last month. And I I've realized from experience in doing races that the best headspace that I can be in when I'm in a race is if I feel like I'm just training, like if I don't feel like it's a race, but if it's just training and because what happens is I enjoy the feeling of kind of adding a brick or stacking blocks. Uh, whereas a race feels like it's a one chance, you know, whereas I'm more rooted in like, Oh, this is adding to this building that I'm making. And so, um, I mean, I'm in a running club, come to a run club in Austin, and it's a lot, a lot of um, service industry professionals, chefs, restaurant owners. And, and so I, I run with them, you know, multiple times a week. And so this 50 K race that I signed myself up for, I, part of the reason why I did it was because other people that were in my running club were participating in it or had participated in it before. And so it it was easier for me to kind of take the jump of like, okay, I've done marathon, but this is like five more miles, a little more distance. And it was a trail run. It was in mud, it had rain previous two days. It was going to be harder. Um, but it, but have, seeing those familiar faces 
and made me, uh, it helped me be able to connect to community and the people that I'm regularly running with when I'm training. And so by the time the race started, I was able to kind of stay in that training mindset and not apply extra pressure on myself to have to treat it like this big end all be all of like, this is one chance I have in life to do this thing. Um, and, and it really helped me because, I mean, again, this is running 31 miles in the mud and on the trail is not easy. Um, and it ended up being a five hour race, you know, and whereas I've run marathons and maybe three hours, three and a half hour, not. So there's a, a lot more time. Um, and it just, it made it more palatable for me to think about it as, oh, it's something that I've, I've, I'm, I know I'm, I'm fit for it, but also I didn't have to put extra pressure on myself because the act of doing it was me saying, oh, this is something that we've done already. So I was able to put a we into it. Um, and the same thing with Localer. Um, when I started Localer, the very first thing that I did is I made a list of 12 friends, or actually what I did is I made a list of like 50 people that I knew, mostly friends in Austin. And and then out of those 50, then I I picked the first 12 Localers. So these are local tastemakers, people who I've known, um, people who knew the city well. They knew where to have coffee. They knew where to go get drinks. They knew where to have dinner or brunch, et cetera. And even though, yes, Localer, it was me kind of starting it and birthing it, it immediately from day one, it gave it this community feel of like, I was only one of, I was one of 12 people in Austin contributing recommendations. So it already took it away from having to be just me. Um, and as we grew, we grew from one city to five in that first year, and then to 20 and then to 40. And then eventually now today in 206 cities. And it's kept that kind of community feel. Um, and I don't know, I, I, for me, you know, when people ask me, you know, who, who am I entrepreneur is the word that a lot of people you say first for me, I say community builder. Um, and, and I say that because so much of uh, all the goals that I have in life, they involve other people. Like, I, I don't think I have a goal. That's like, I want this for myself or I, you know, I want to get this. For me, I just, for anything that I want for myself, it's so that I can pour that into others and into community. Um, and so that's just in my DNA. And I, I it's funny because my mom, my mom raised my brothers and I by herself, three boys. And then after I graduated high school, she was like a foster mom to a dozen or two dozen kids. And she just, I feel like my mom has that surplus energy of giving. And for her, that was community for her in that sense. Um, and for me, you know, I don't have kids yet. Um, so I've been kind of pouring into companies, into causes, into community in that way. So I still, I feel like I've learned how to give for my mom in that way. Um, and I've just had the privilege of being able to kind of have goals, like coming up with a company and things like that. I like this idea that you speak of, of your process of giving is really rooted in the dreams that you have for yourself and your community. You were building something in communion with others, uh, and that is what's fueling your goals. Uh, but you're still you're still here, and you haven't you know keeled over yet. And so that yeah. means <laughs> this work has been feeding you mm -hmm. um, in some way. 
can you tell me a little bit more about how the work actually feeds back into you? Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, I, I get helpers high. I mean, I, I genuinely get helpers high. And I would say for the most part in my life that has served me really well, that's brought so much joy to me. It's brought so much sense of purpose and, and duty and reward. Um, I think more recently though, I have realized, and I think I, I really realized this last year when I was running for city council in Austin, um, I realized that there it is important for me to draw kind of a boundary for myself on not getting so over-indexed on helpers high that I, that I get myself close to burnout. And in the case of last year, that I actually went past burnout. Like, as I say, um, the gaslight, the, 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 the gaslight was on and I kept going, you know, and I kept driving. Um, and so I think for me, what I, I've gotten a lot of reward out of feeling feeling like my, my, my purpose here isn't, you know, I would say I'm the first person in my family, family to graduate from college. And, you know, like I said, I, just a minute ago, I don't, I don't have kids yet. Um, but I keep thinking, I'm like, man, like I, I'm pretty certain that my mom, my grandparents, my ancestors, that they didn't go through all the things that they went through in life, all the hardships they face. I'm pretty sure they didn't go through all that just so I could like graduate from college, you know? So as big as, a, as a big of a goal as that was at the time, I mean, it was a big goal of mine, my whole childhood. Um, once I did it, I kind of looked up, I, I, I was proud. Um, but I immediately realized, okay, this isn't even about me. I remember getting my high school, um, my, my, my college degree framed and I got it framed with a photo of my mom and I, I gave it to her. It's in her bedroom. It's on her bedroom wall because it, I realized, okay, like that graduating from college, it, yes, it was a goal of mine, but it was a goal of mine in service of her and my family before my ancestors. And so in a lot of ways, it's like, okay, I feel like I, what I accomplished was being able to say, okay, I've honored so many of the gifts that were passed down to me. And now I have optionality. and you know, I got it to a point in my, my, I, when I was in my twenties, I was having a really good career working for other people. And I made a conscious decision to pursue entrepreneurship, not because it was safe. Um, not even because I thought, oh, I can get rich doing this, that kind of thing. For me, it was because I, I looked at my combination of skills, gifts, experiences, and I felt like the best use of those things were in creating things. And, and like I said earlier, I felt like entrepreneurship was my form of expression. And I feel like that was something that I could, I had the privilege of pursuing graduating from college didn't make it so that I could have a safe path, but so that I could have a risky path and feel confident in my ability to go and, and execute on that. I like this idea of, uh, of, uh, sort of, achieving milestones and having that be confirmation of your ability to continue to take risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I was hanging out with one of my friends recently and he'd said, he gave me the second best compliment of my life. Uh, he said the best compliment I've ever gotten is my, my high school track coach when I was a kid 
um, he, I was remember just kind of like telling him my life story for some reason we were riding back from a track meet. And after I had done this long soliloquy, he says, man, your mom must be really impressive. And I was like, <laughs> like, how that's amazing. Like out of me talking about myself for 10 minutes and this guy, his first thought is my mom is impressive. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but, but the, recently my friend and I were talking and he, he told me, he was like, you know, out of all the people that I know, you live the most. Like you, you, you know, you take the chance, you take the risk, you, you bet on yourself, you squeeze the most out of life and all the experiences. And I was just, I was really thankful for that, for him saying that, um, because yeah, I really have tried to approach my life that way. Like I, I don't, um, I don't, I try not to take it for granted the, the gifts that I've been given, um, whether that's, you know, when I was born, um, you know, what, what genetics I have, um, what experiences I've had that have shaped my perspective. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of tough times in life and thankfully I have the disposition and the temperament that for the most part has pulled me through those tough times, always kind of looking forward, looking up and, realizing that those those hardships were just giving me more validation of who I am like just, they were reaffirming to me who I was um and like I mentioned I've been going through this tough season at the end of last year beginning of this year and yes it was challenging but now that I've gotten through it it's it's like oh wow like I whatever I'm going to do from here I like I I feel like you know, I feel like if I were if I were a weightlifter, it it almost feels like, you know, whatever my personal bests, you know, weights that I could do, you know, a year ago, I feel like I'm like now I'm like oh wow like without even training or actually in w without training the way that I used to train, I've somehow gotten so much stronger, um, and my emotional fortitude has been tested in a way that it never had been before. Um, and now I'm even more confident that the choices that I take or the choices that I make, the, the, the risks that I'm willing to take um, will bear fruit um, because, because of the, the ones that I've taken so far have gotten me here. How do you see your relationship with your community building shifting with this mindset shift? Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, the, the biggest thing I would say is I've done a lot of pruning, um, a lot of pruning. Um, you know, there's this, um, a lot of people may know the name Biggs Burke, but he was one of, he's one of Jay-Z's business, former business partners when he, Dame Dash and Jay-Z started Rockefeller Records. And Biggs has this amazing Instagram page where he posts kind of like truisms and wisdom nuggets and things. And one of the things that he wrote really, really resonated with me. And I really noticed this when I was running for office because I was just out. I mean, I met 7,000 people. I knocked on 7,000 people's doors, you know, so I met a lot of people. Um, he said, um, I used to think I had a lot of friends, but now I just realized I know a lot of people. And, and while I'm a someone that does, I do have a lot of friends. I'm very blessed in that way. I, this season has, it has um, allowed me to realize that 
even though you can be in community and in service of others, um, there are there are kind of levels to where and how you can show up in community. Um, and in order to protect yourself, your own energy, your own um, your own spirit, you know, I was I was meeting with um, I had lunch with a friend who's a nonprofit leader recently, and she was saying, like, you know, you you and I both suffer from um, the generosity of spirit. And it's and I was like, it's so true. Like we you know, when I when I go into something, I so freely give of myself my energy, my time, my treasure, my resources, um, my knowledge. And while I always want to have that disposition that I'm willing to do that, I've realized that in order for me to really show up in community the way that I want to show up going forward in, in, in a sustainable way, a way that's not going to lead to my own burnout, um, that I have to be more selective about the way in which I, I lend that generosity out. Um, so I think going forward, I just think I've gone through this this season uh, with more refinement um, and dis, uh, discernment around, you know, where I show up and how I show up for community. Oh, I love that word discernment. It's like it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Uh, as someone who um, maybe I'm being presumptuous here, but who has also struggled with the generosity of spirit. Uh, we're actually in a chapter right now with not yet this community healing project has been going on for six years now, which feels insane. Um, and it has truly been an evolution. Um, like I started in grad school, uh, with a good friend because we loved making things and we wanted to have events with other people where we could just make stuff for fun and build relationships with creativity as a value. And it's moved, it's moved from in-person to online. It has moved cities, <laughs> uh, it has moved genres, it's moved industries. And uh, I am also really coming to terms with like just how much, um, how much I could give to this work when I think about the kind of life, like life experience that I want to have, you know, like the kind of relationships that I want to build, how deep I want them to be, mm-hmm. how much I want to show up for my work practice, like logistically as in hours and days and time, uh, where I want to get energy back from, like for, yeah. a, for a long time, my, my professional career is where I got so much of my validation, so much from my of my sense of purpose, so much of my sense of connection. And though I do love my work and I'm really fortunate to say that I do work that I enjoy, I think that was a personal milestone for me that I felt was essential for me after seeing so much of my family make sacrifices and do work that they didn't love, like do work that did take so much out of them to provide for their families because, you know, the bills keep coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, life, life doesn't stop. <laughs> um, I'm really grateful that I've had this opportunity to really live life and breathe it in and take it in and take risks. And also there's so many other ways to fuel yourself that I'm excited to explore too. 
And so I'm in the process of figuring out how do I be honest and genuine and generous with this project that's given me so much that I connect with so deeply while also recognizing that there are new ways that I'm growing. I want to honor too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I've had this, I realized that a lot of the ways that I led myself down this kind of path to getting in the periphery and then eventually getting to burnout was that I put a lot of false and unnecessary pressure on myself to, um, to, I I think I associated too much of my self-reward to the validation of others. And so what happened in that process was, I think when I was a kid, I, I learned how to be a good person because of my mom and being, she was the most influential person around me as a young kid. And then in my teenage years, I think, I think, I think I went through a time where I started realizing that, um, you know, there, you know, they say good things happen to good people, you know? And so I kind of, I, whether that's true or not, I think in my teens, I was innocent enough at least to believe that that was inherently true. Um, And then in my, in my twenties, I think I started realizing that, well, that's not inherently true. um, But one of the ways that I can make it more true is through affability and likability. And so I think I spent a lot of my twenties kind of in that space, um, being affable, being likable. Um, and then my thirties, I, I, I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago. Um, in my thirties, I realized that, um, I, I kind of, because of professional benefits, because of the, some of the, the gains that I was making professionally, then I allowed some of that affability to lend itself towards a path that was probably more centered around, yes, I was still rooted in community, but I think I was over-indexed on ego benefits in that, in that season. And so I was, I was leaning into community. I was leading into doing good things and being, showing up for people, but I was subconsciously, I think, aware or becoming more and more aware of the the ego-driven benefits doing that brought to me. And, you know, it's funny because I'm so proud of why I ran for office. I'm proud of how I ran for office. Um, and I'm also thankful that I didn't win. Um, and, and, and mostly because, you know, they say, you know, running for office um, same thing as, you know, having a lot of money, it doesn't, um, it doesn't change you. It just reveals who you are. And I think that running for office for me, it revealed to me that when push comes to shove, I'm going to put community over ego. And, and as a result, that's part of, that's a big reason as to why I didn't win. Um, because I realized that there were certain things that were expected of me to become a quote unquote politician that I wasn't willing to lean into. 
And, and so now as I kind of enter my forties and, and think about where I want to go going forward, I, I think just energetically, spiritually, I just, I want to point myself towards this. Yes. I don't have the innocence of my youth anymore, but I want to knowingly choose to show up in community, choose to lean into doing the right thing. Um, regardless of what perceived benefits there may be on the other side. And so, you know, and it's tough for someone who is very goal oriented, very driven, especially professionally, it's tough to do that because you do, you know, we, we swim in, in a sea of, in this world where people, we watch people every day reap a lot of benefits out of a very kind of ego driven uh, nature. And so it's very easy to want to emulate those patterns, emulate those behaviors. And you just, it's, you have to be so intentional to not do that and not just mirror what you're seeing. Um, and so that's why I'm really focusing on this pruning that I mentioned and more of that refinement and discernment because I'm having to consciously think about, okay, like, and do I want to be near this person because they're successful and, or is it because they show up in a way that I, I respect and admire? And, you know, it's, I, it's funny, someone tweeted the other day, like, who is someone who you feel like, you know, you really um, think is really successful kind of professionally. And the the person I said was a friend of mine named Jason Maiden. And there, Jason has so many people around him. He, he used to be the uh, a designer for, for Jordan brand. Um, he was the founder of a company a startup called Fear. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Super Heroic that was venture backed. Um, he, he's done a lot of amazing things, but he's always, almost always, I think, professionally been in a space where he's been around other more, far more uh, recognized, acknowledged, successful people. And yet he's continued to just show up as his real self. And I just, I admire it so much because I just, I have, I just imagine it has to be so hard when you're in a space where you see people having so much success, just like uncanny success. And you're just like, you're right next to them. And you just, you're just like, oh, you know, but, but then you just have to stay too, true to yourself and still show up for yourself, how you want to show up. So that if the success does come, you know, that it came through who, who you really wanted to be and not in the pursuit of becoming someone else. Yeah. I just brings me right back to something you said earlier in our conversation that more power and more money just makes you more of who you already are. And mm -hmm. so as you're growing and moving down your path, like think about how you're showing up, like logistically, you know, what time are you waking up in the morning? Like, are you in practicing movement? Um, the way that you speak to people, are you making eye contact? When you're watching TV, are you also on the phone? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like the more of you that you become, the deeper those practices and engagements are amplified. So stay real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's funny because I go back to when we met at, at TED conference. And I think I remember my first TED I, you know, looking back, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome. I think what I, what I suffered from in my first TED was I, 
I was, I felt so, um, you know, I had, I had, I had more of that, like a pick me energy, you know, of like, Oh, I'm special. I'm in this room. And, you know, and, and then the, the more years that I returned, I shed all that. And like, when we met, I think that was my third or fourth set. And, and I was able to just kind of settle into myself and be present. And, and so it became less about, it became less about, okay, what does my head say this validates about me and more of being in my body and feeling my way through the experience of saying like, oh, like, who do I want to interact with here? How do I want to open up space to connect with other people in a real way? Um, I mean, I, I met one of my best um, investors, advisors at TED in part because I was in that space, I think. Um, and I've met so many friends and, you know, and I, I think increasingly as I sharpen my ability to kind of dial back my strategy kind of brain and, and dial up my intuition, um, then I, th I think what'll ha what I sense myself getting towards is where it's not that like I'm turning my brain off, so it's not functioning. It's more of I'm relying on it to do the things that it's really, really well equipped to do and unburdening it from the things that it's not equipped to do. Um, and so I realized my gut, my intuition, that's a really good compass for me. It's really good. Like I, it, it knows North or South East, it knows the directions really well. And it moves me in the great, in a great way. And then my brain, what it does is it's kind of like, um, it's almost like, um, like the, you know, when people have the metal detector and it starts beeping, my brain is really good at that. It's really good at if I, if I, it, my gut gets me close to it, like a, a, like a heat map kind of thing, then my brain then turns on and it's like, okay, it, 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 it snaps into, and it's like, okay, this is where to be. And, um, I think that I I'm really, I'm really excited about that because I do know that after localer, I intend maybe not today, but you know, five years, seven years from now, I, I know I'm going to start another company and and I think that that company will do so much better um, at fulfilling its mission, solving the problem that I want to solve with that, um, because it won't be this exercise in how can I outsmart the competition? How can I outsmart the industry? It'll be more of, okay, how do I fill out a position for the company to solve a problem in a way that no one else can? And then I can think really aggressively about that once I land there. We're still growing, always. <laughs> Very much so. Well, thank you so much for, I feel like I'm in a really special moment in your life right now. Like, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny. I've been saying, I have been saying, I, I have said no to more things in the last six months than any time in my life. I mean, I've said so many no's. And when you uh, asked me about this, I, I was like, oh no, this is something that, this is something that 
I can do. This is something that I want to do. You know, like I just, I, I just remember just your energy. And I was like, that's yes, that's what I want to be in. I want to be in that. I don't want to be on like a, oh, here's, you know, I don't want to be on a how discussion. You know, I feel like this is much more rooted in like the why. Um, and instead of like the how to, um, I'm not, I'm just not into trying to give people like, this is the three steps for how to reveal yourself. I mean, you got to go on that process for yourself. Um, cause I'm very much still on it. Um, uh, but I can't say like why I'm choosing to do that. Um, so yeah. Well, can you share one practice that is helping you discover who you are? Oh, um, You know, I think that earlier I talked about how a lot of times I think in business and in entrepreneurship, people think that they have to go and become successful and build up uh, wealth and, and prestige before they can start serving others and serving on boards, get certain backing causes. Um, I think I think something very similarly about faith. I think that there is this high propensity for people to only talk about faith when really good things have happened to them. And so they're like, you know, they win a gold medal. Like, oh, I got to thank God. Or they, they, you know, something really good happens. They get a big breakthrough. And for me, what I'm realizing going through a tough season, I'm really thankful to God. I'm really thankful to my faith for being there with me as I've been going through a more challenging season in life and in career and all these things, because um, that's part of how I'm re reaffirming to myself who I am, that, 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 that voice, that, that it's still there. Um, it's not just there when things are going well, you know, and I'm feeling gratitude and, and, and appreciation and thanks and all that, and feeling like I'm basking in the blessings and all that. It's also there for me when I'm feeling like, man, I, I feel frustrated or disappointed or, you know, uh, betrayed or any of these feelings that, you know, you, people don't want to sit in. Um, I realize that my faith is there with me through that. Um, so my, my practice, I mean, the way that I start every day is with prayer. Um, I have, I wrote down kind of a list of my 20 rules to live by. And the, the first two rules are one, everything starts with prayer. And then the second one is play the long game longer if I have to. And what that, what that second one is about is, you know, if you, if you play the long game, then you can keep, it's, it kind of goes back to, I don't know, a lot of people probably saw the, the press conference where the NBA player Giannis Antetokounmpo was talking about failure. And I just, I loved it so much. Um, because it's so true. Like a lot of times, actually the biggest building blocks in your life and career are the times when you failed. I know that's true for, for me. Absolutely. Uh, so you have to play the long game because you don't even know the benefits that you're having from failure or, or loss, um, until way down the road. And I also think, um, to Giannis's thing that he didn't say this, but the one thing I would add to that is people often confuse failure with loss loss is finite you know like is is did Giannis win the NBA title this year no that's a loss he lost but he didn't fail 
you know, like, because who he's about is something that he's trying to continue building on. Same, same as me, hopefully same as you, everyone. Right. And so you can't fail at becoming you. You're always in that process. You can lose something that you thought you needed to become you, but you can't fail at it unless you stop. So I'm really, I'm really in that season where I'm realizing, okay, I, I did lose some things um, that I thought were important to me, um, but, but I haven't failed at all. I also really enjoyed that clip. Yeah. And I enjoyed how fervent and clear that clapback was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you ask me this question every year. No, I didn't fail. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Joa. Um, I feel uh, this is a conversation that I very much needed to have. Funny how like the world and the universe just works that way. Uh, can you shout out what you're building now uh, and where the Not Yet community can find you in your work? Yeah. Um, I, man, I will say you're hearing it here first. I am, after 10 years of building Localer, Localer will continue on, but I am going to be making a transition onto a new adventure very soon. Um, so I'll share that uh, here probably in the next month or so. Um, but I'm really excited. I mean, I'm really proud of what we've done with Localer and its future. Um, but I am also really excited to kind of take on a new, uh, adventure myself. And so, so yeah, for now I would say people can, you know, they can follow me on all the social platforms at Joa Spearman. Um, and then, um, I, I, I write and share a lot on LinkedIn. So that's a place where I, I think, um, people really benefit from connecting with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Not Yet. The podcast is hosted by me, Paige Polk, and produced by Paige Polk International. The show art is made by Elizabeth Olguin, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And if you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community.